The information provided on this podcast is not legal advice and is intended for the sole purpose of providing education and legal information. Laws change over time, and the information provided on this podcast may not be up to date. We make no warranty, express or implied, regarding the information provided by our team or our guests on this podcast. The information should not be construed as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with us or any of our guests on the podcast. If you would like to consult with an attorney, please call 1-800-VICTIMS. That's 1-800-842-8467 for attorney referral contact information. This podcast provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and information to help educate crime victims on their rights. Some content will include topics and materials that may involve descriptions of violence or assaults, which can be distressing to victims and survivors. It may also impact service providers experiencing vicarious trauma. Podcasting from the Victims of Crime Resource Center, this is Knowledge is Power, Victim to Survivor, a podcast series where we help crime victims understand their rights so they can go from victims to survivors. On this episode, we'll discuss sexual harassment. Welcome in, everyone. It's me once again, your humble host, Nima Malavi, with the Victim of Crime Resource Center. And it's my pleasure today to welcome Kevin Kish into the podcast. Kevin is the director of the California Department of Fair Housing and Employment. Kevin, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Okay, Kevin, I want to get right into it today and start our discussion by asking you uh, about the Department of uh, Fair Housing and Employment. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the department in general? Yes, we are a state agency and we are California's civil rights agency. So people who believe they've been discriminated against or have had their civil rights violated can file complaints with us. We investigate the complaints and we try to resolve them. And in some cases, we file lawsuits in court. Interesting. And uh, can you tell us what is your role with the department? I'm the director of the department. So I was appointed by the governor to uh, be the person in charge, the chief executive. What is the jurisdiction or authority uh, of the department to investigate claims of harassment in the workplace? California law prohibits sexual harassment in every single workplace, uh, even if there's just a single employee or a single contractor. And we have jurisdiction over all of those cases. But the law says you have to bring your complaint within one year of when the harassment happened. So so long as you've experienced harassment within the past year, you can file a complaint with us and we will investigate it. Uh, I'd like to expand a little bit uh, on the on the topic of sexual harassment. Uh, can you describe for our audience maybe what actions would constitute sexual harassments for purposes of your department? Definitely. Uh, on the most basic level, sexual harassment is unwelcome sexual conduct. Um, the law considers it a form of discrimination, discrimination based on gender or sex. And harassment can be physical. It can include things like physical assault and rape uh, at the most serious end of the spectrum, but it can also be sexual advances. It can be using sexual language in a workplace, so verbal harassment. And it can also be visual harassment, meaning you're displaying sexual pictures. Uh, It could be on a computer or on a phone or anywhere else in the workplace. Are there any jobs or industries that are particularly vulnerable to that kind of behavior, sexual harassment related behavior? There are definitely conditions in certain industries that make sexual harassment more and less possible in our experience of of looking at these cases. So, for example, we see a lot of harassment in industries where people work alone or where they can be easily isolated from other coworkers. So an example of that might be the janitorial industry where you have people cleaning offices or stores, maybe with a single supervisor 
working alone or in just a small team, uh, and they can be isolated in that space. Um, agricultural fields are another area where we see that sexual harassment can, can happen pretty easily because people can be separated out. Uh, and we also see a lot of sexual harassment in industries, uh, the hospitality industry, restaurants, where there are social obligations around being friendly with customers and coworkers and where there's sometimes alcohol involved. Okay. And, and you mentioned uh, some specific industries, the janitorial industry, the agricultural uh industry and also restaurant and, and hospitality industries. If there are some employees that are perhaps working in this industry that are that are listening to the podcast, uh, I was hoping that you could maybe give some examples, uh, specific examples of maybe what sexual harassment would look like for, for some of these industries. Definitely. And first, I should clarify that sexual harassment is a form of discrimination that we actually see across all industries. There are just uh, some where we tend to see more cases than, than in others. But uh, very classic examples might include a coworker who physically touches another person in the workplace, who is groping people or making them feel uncomfortable physically. Harassment can even be uh, standing really closely over a person or blocking their movement in an office. Um, other types of harassment that we see are people who are constantly talking about sex or making sex, sexual jokes or people who are hitting on other people in the office. But I think it's important to note that sexual harassment doesn't actually require that anybody uh, want to have sex with you. Right? They can just be mm-hmm. um, talking about sex in a way that makes people feel uncomfortable. I see. And at what point does sexual harassment become illegal? Is there sort of a, a dividing line? That's a really great question, and it really depends on the case. So obviously not every joke is harassment. Not every unwelcome or offensive comment or action is illegal. Um, For unwelcome conduct to become a violation of the law, it has to be either severe or it has to be pervasive. That's the legal language. And so... uh, when we're talking about severe sexual harassment, if a coworker groped you, that's severe. One time is one time too many, and that's illegal conduct. But uh, conduct that is less severe can become illegal over time if it isn't stopped. So a manager who tells a sexual joke that somebody finds offensive probably isn't violating the law if it only happens once. But if that manager is constantly joking, constantly bringing this language into the workplace, that behavior is considered to pervade the workplace and change the working environment in a way that uh, becomes harassment. Interesting. Now, can sexual harassment be prosecuted in criminal court, or is this something that can be addressed through the civil process? It depends on the behavior. So obviously, some things are crime. Uh, Assault and rape are crimes that can be investigated by the police and prosecuted in criminal court with criminal penalties that include jail time. Um, Other forms of harassment uh, that we've been talking about are not crimes, but they do violate the civil law. And that means that you can file a lawsuit in court, you can file with us at DFEH or with the federal uh, 
Fair Employment Agency, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, and uh, you can recover money damages for those types of civil legal violations. Now, if we have an audience member that believes that either they or um, someone they know has been a victim of uh, sexual harassment, should they contact uh, your agency or, or what steps maybe should they take? That is a really good question, and it kind of depends on what they want to do. Um, the reality is, is that most people don't report sexual harassment, and that's one of the reasons why it continues. But people have really good reasons for not reporting sexual harassment, including a fear of retaliation. And I should be clear that retaliation against someone who files a complaint of sexual harassment is illegal. It's its own violation of the law, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. So depending on what's been going on in the workplace and the relationship that the person has with their boss or with uh you know, anybody else in the workplace, they might feel comfortable confronting the harasser directly. Um, they might feel comfortable filing an internal complaint um, for the employer to investigate. But they certainly have the right to come to us and to file a complaint with DFEH or to file a complaint with our federal counterpart, the EEOC. And how does the DFEH investigate sexual harassment? So we will take a complaint, you file the complaint with us, and you say what happened, and we'll review that, and we'll interview you, and we will draft a formal legal complaint. And that is what you sign, and that we give then to the employer, saying, hey, this employee has said that this has happened. And at that point, we uh, try to get information from the employer. So we might interview uh, the employer, we might interview the harasser. We will want to interview any witnesses that may have either witnessed the harassment or that you told about the harassment when it happened. And we'll also want to know what the employer did if they found out about it. Did they investigate? Did they take action? So the investigation involves getting information from the person who's complaining, getting information from the employer, and trying to make a decision about whether the person who's complaining. Uh, has a legal claim. Let's talk a little bit about the complaint process. Uh, is there a specific process for, for submitting a complaint with the uh, Department of Fair Housing and Employment? Yes, you file an intake form with us, and you can do that in a couple of different ways. So the intake form is just a form. It asks for your information so that we can contact you, and it asks you what happened. Um, and we have an online portal. You can go onto our website and log in with your email address, and you can fill out everything online, hit a button, and you'll get an interview date. Um, but you can also uh, fill out a, a paper form, and you can uh, email that paper form to us. You can mail it into our office, or you can call our communication center and talk to someone who can write down the complaint for you. And how much time does a victim have to file a, a complaint to fill out the, the intake form? You only have one year from the time that the harassment happened. And so the sooner people file a complaint, the better. The problem is, as we know, most people don't want to complain if they fear that they're going to lose their job. So we know that people tend to wait, um, sometimes until they feel safer, sometimes until they have a different job. And that can be a problem if you go beyond that one year. And I should say that this year, the California legislature is considering uh, changing that law and extending the amount of time that a person has to file a complaint of sexual harassment. But as we are talking here today, uh, in March 2019, 
the deadline is one year. I see. And you, you mentioned in, in a previous answer about how the department will actually in, investigate. Can you discuss the types of evidence that the DFEH can access to substantiate allegations of sexual harassment? One thing that people tend to forget is that testimony is evidence. So what you say to us is evidence. When somebody files a complaint, they're signing that complaint and they're saying, I'm saying that this is true. What happened to me is is this and this is true. And that is evidence in the case. What the employer says to us is evidence. What the harasser says to us is evidence. But we also look for documents. Um, so in sexual harassment, generally people haven't written a memo about sexual harassment, but there might be text messages, there might be uh, phone call records, there might be social media posts. Um, anything that you've said to your friends or family about what happened, that can be evidence as well. What witnesses say can be evidence. So all of these pieces of information can be used either to support a claim or to uh, support the defense against the claim. And what responsibility do employers have to prevent sexual harassment at work? Well, employers actually have a legal obligation to prevent sexual harassment at work and to take action if it if it occurs. So every employer in California is required by law to have a policy prohibiting harassment. And that policy has to provide information to uh, to the employees about how they can file a complaint internally. Now, you know, many employers don't actually have this policy, especially smaller employers, um, but it is a legal requirement that they are supposed to have it. And if an employer receives a complaint of sexual harassment, they've got a legal obligation to investigate it and figure out if it's true. And if it is true, to take some action, um, depending on what the what the behavior is, um, their action might be counseling, it might be uh, terminating an employee, it might be disciplining them in some other way, but they do have an obligation to take action. And what are the uh, the remedies for a victim of sexual harassment at work? So in civil law, when there's a violation of, uh, of the law, the remedy is money. Um, in sexual harassment cases, oftentimes what we're talking about is money for what's called emotional distress. So the harm that you feel from having been harassed has to be translated into a dollar amount. And there's not a specific number. It depends on a lot of factors. Um, the person who is the harasser is liable to pay money. And in many situations, the employer must also pay money. Um, and in fact, in California, if the harasser is a supervisor or a manager, the employer automatically is liable for the harassment. Um, if you file with the FDH or with EEOC, with the government, we want to see something in addition to money. We'll want to see changes in the workplace to make sure that the harassment doesn't happen again. So uh, we will want to see things like uh, a policy, if there isn't one, or maybe a change in policy. Or maybe we'll want to uh, have people in the workplace take training, and maybe we'll want to monitor that workplace to see whether more complaints come in in the future. How does a person's immigration status affect their ability to report sexual harassment to your department? This is a really important question because so many people are afraid to report if, uh, if they don't have a legal immigration status, but the law protects everyone from sexual harassment. And at DFEH, we will not ask 
what the person's immigration status is. And if an employer uh, is threatens retaliation against an employee based on their immigration status, that's also illegal and will take action against the employer for that. So uh, immigration status doesn't have anything to do with the right to be free from sexual harassment and other forms of discrimination. I see. And can you recommend any other resources for victims of sexual harassment? There are a lot of resources out there. You guys are one of them. Uh, There are a number of free counseling services in different uh, areas in the state. In Sacramento, there's an organization called WEAVE, W-E-A-V-E, that provides counseling services to people who have experienced harassment or assault. Um, There's also a group called the California Coalition Against Sexual Assault that has a website with a lot of resources on it. And of course, people can visit our website at DFEH or the EEOC website to learn about their legal rights. Okay, Kevin, I wanted to ask a a related question. Uh, What does the law provide for as far as who can be sexually harassed and and who can be a um, sort of a, a sexual harasser? So one thing that people often get confused about is the the reality that anybody can be a victim of sexual harassment, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your sexual orientation is. And anybody can be a harasser. Uh, So men are often the victims of sexual harassment. And something that I, uh, that I try to explain to people is that it isn't based on whether that person actually is sexually attracted to the victim. So we've seen a number of cases where there's an all-male workplace, everybody's straight, but somebody is still the victim of sexual harassment because they're made so uncomfortable by sexual banter and sexual images in that workplace. So it doesn't require that somebody be sexually attracted to another person. It doesn't require that people be of different genders. Um, Anybody, men or women, can be harassers, straight or gay, and anybody can be victims. I see. It's a a very interesting point. And it looks like that's all the time we'll have for today's show. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate our discussion. My pleasure. Thanks. Now that you've heard the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. And if you have any questions about any of the information you heard today, you can reach the Victims of Crime Resource Center at 1-800-842-8467. Or you can reach us online at 1-800-VICTIMS.org or Facebook at Victims of Crime Resource Center or Twitter at 1-800-VICTIMS. If you haven't had a chance, please take a look at some of the other episodes in our series. Thanks for listening.